Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. Welcome everybody to another special edition of Animals to the Max. This is a special Earth Day edition. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, there. For listening. Apparently, I cannot talk on this Earth Day. You guys, it's been a long day. I've been outside in nature. I hope you have done the same. You know, hopefully you are doing your whole social distancing, though. Make sure you do that. Anyway, so, you know, I'm doing something a little bit different. Uh, Normally, I pre-record my interviews and I release one a week. If you are an avid Animals to the Max listener, you'll know I release new episodes on Monday. You know, sometimes when I get a pitch or a press release, I just want to share immediately and that's what basically happened with my friends from the National Marine Mammal Foundation. So on the show I have my friend Dr. Cynthia Smith and she's executive director of the once again the National Marine Mammal Foundation and she basically comes on the show to talk about Earth Day and she talks about the 10-year anniversary of the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Now if you are unfamiliar with this it 10 years ago, there was an oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico, and it was the largest in history. Over 130 million gallons of oil went into the Gulf of Mexico over a period of 87 days. Dr. Cynthia Smith and her team have studied the Gulf of Mexico, its inhabitants, mainly dolphins, but other marine mammals, to research and you know learn about the effects of what this oil spill has had to the ecosystem. And she wants to share those findings They are finding that their health is really not improving, and she goes into that in this interview. Now, please, I promise this is not a doom and gloom. There are a lot of positive messages throughout, and you know, there's great ways that you at home, by listening to this show, can help all around the world, and she gives you great insight. I really, really encourage you to listen to it, and this is a shorter episode, so hopefully that'll be easier to digest. All right, you guys, I uh, once again hope you have a fantastic Earth Day. As always, if you have any questions, uh, please feel free to send me any questions or podcast guest suggestions at info at CorbinMaxi.com. Also, as always, make sure to encourage you to follow our social media pages at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. I will also include the links to the National Marine Mammal Foundation's social channels because they're great. And it's a great way to keep up to date with uh, credible information about what's going on in our marine ecosystems. All right, let's cut to the chase. Please welcome back to the show, Dr. Cynthia Smith. Back on the show, we have Dr. Cynthia Smith. She is the executive director of the National Marine Mammal Foundation. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. So great to be here and happy Earth Day. Happy Earth Day. What did you do today for Earth Day? Oh, it was a busy day. Um, A lot of different um, calls and meetings and planning and um, and also, because we're all home, making sure the kids are in school and the dog gets walked and everything else that's happening right now. So it was um, a good, productive day. Uh, and then, of course, trying to fit in some reflection about what the day is really about. Make sure we honor that. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Your PR team reached out to me and I kind of wish we were talking on better terms. I mean, not that <laughs> like, you know, you and I have a problem with each other, but Um, You know, this, yeah, I mean, this year marks the 10th anniversary of the Deep Water Horizon oil spill. And you're going to teach us all about this right now and what you have found within that 10 year span, how it's affected the marine animals, especially the dolphins in the Gulf of Mexico. So that's why you're here today. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and before we get into that, I just want to warn you, I have a rescued hound dog who is very, it gets very excited if um, anybody even brushes by our house. So just in case he goes a little crazy, um, yeah, you'll hear it if it happens. That's <laughs> Which, awesome. We, we love animal interruptions. And usually when like the most important part of the interview comes, usually the UPS driver comes and my dog Zoe freaks out. It just adds to the show. Yeah, he thinks this is his job to just make sure he lets us know if anybody's within 100 feet of our house. So Yes, yes. And oh, oh, and really quick, I also want to tell listeners, because you were, I mean, if your name sound, sounds familiar, if you are a hardcore Animals to the Max fan, you'll know that you were on our show actually in July, episode 75, titled The Sea Panda, where we talked about the vaquita, the most endangered marine mammal in the world the 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 small um yeah the small cetacean found and yeah anyway you could go back and listen to that episode but yeah so that's why you sound familiar and that's why you're coming back on the show thank you yeah so to come back to your question about today and the anniversary of the Deepwater horizon oil spill um it is a big moment and it's a big um there's a there's a big pause that we're taking basically to really reflect back on what has this last decade taught us about what happened. And the anniversary is falling just two days um, before Earth Day. So it was on April 20th. Today is April 22nd, Earth Day. Um, and so it just is happening at the same time where we're really allowing ourselves to examine in the context of Earth Day what have we learned? What have we taken away? And what should we be doing different when we think about protecting marine mammals? So the big news is that we are still not seeing the animals recover like we we thought we would at this point. So even 10 years out, when we are so far away from that tragic event, we are still finding that the animals have a high prevalence of lung disease and reproductive failure and they are dying in higher numbers than they should. So there's all of these things that still exist and that's concerning. So I want to make sure that among the celebrations that we're having and the appreciation of nature that we're, that we're having today, that we're also taking a moment to think about the animals that really need us right now and need us to show up and need us to pay attention and think about um, in the midst of these celebrations what can we be doing different? Uh, we need to do something different as we move forward into the future and really take care of this beautiful planet and all of the amazing creatures that we share it with. Absolutely. And can we just go into, for some listeners who are unfamiliar with the Deep Water Horizon oil spill, can we go into that 10 years ago, what happened? I mean, obviously, sure. obviously an oil spill, but let's go, you know, more of the details. Yeah. It was the largest marine oil spill in history. It was one of the largest environmental disasters in U.S. history. And basically what happened is there um, was this rig called the Deepwater Horizon, and there was a blowout. And so if you're familiar, if you've seen the documentaries or maybe even the major motion film about it, um, you've, you've seen the story where the blowout occurs, um, a fire starts, and the rig catches fire and collapses and then sinks into about 5,000 feet deep um, ocean water. And in the midst of that happening, millions of gallons of oil seeped into the Gulf of Mexico. Thousands of marine mammals died. Um, 
tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands more um, creatures died in, in the midst and the aftermath of that. And so it's something where when it was happening and we were watching it unfold, I mean, everybody was just in disbelief. And it was 87 days that the oil flowed out of that disaster site and into the northern Gulf of Mexico, 87 days until they could get it capped. And I mean, just think of that and think of remembering back what we were watching and, it, and you were just every day, like, really, it's still happening. They haven't been able to stop the oil. So our part came in pretty quickly um, to really help figure out what was going to happen to the animals and what was their fate and was this going to impact them. And interestingly, we actually thought that the animals were going to avoid it and try to just swim away. There was a, there was a lot of scientists that thought dolphins and whales avoid oil. Um, but unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And right away, dolphins and whales were seen swimming right through it. Sea turtles were in it. I mean, there were it was just everywhere. And so they um, there's no evidence to support now that dolphins and whales can actually um, move out of the way or even purposefully make a choice to get out of the way. So they do get exposed to oil. And according to, let's see the notes, over 130 million gallons of oil. Yeah. And so all of that oil, you know, there are all these different things that were done to try to mitigate it. And I'm not an oil um, scientist in terms of understanding the, the properties of the oil and how best to clean it up. But there are, you know, of course, thousands of people that have were focused on that. How do we how do we best mitigate the issues that the oil is going to cause to not just um, humans, but also the animals. And so dispersant was used or, you know, there are all these things that were being tried to get the oil out of the environment and to mitigate the, uh, the risk and the effect. But in the process, you know, more than a thousand miles of coastline, coastline uh, were oiled and all of the animals in between that, that rig site and land uh, were impacted and then the marshland and if you um, followed the story you also saw the impact it had on the fisheries and the fishermen and there was just so much damage done from that so you know I don't want it to be too sad of a day when we think back on it I want to honor that and remember it but I really want it to inspire us to inspire us to learn from that and to figure out what we can be doing different as as we think about protecting the planet and protecting the ocean and the way we live our lives. Um, so clearly there are things that needed to be done differently back then that I'm hoping 10 years later uh, we have changed and we are doing things different and better and smarter. So that's the reason to bring the awareness around it now is to just make sure that we learn from that and build on that experience and make things better. Okay. So I want to know you're in San Diego. I'm in Idaho. We discussed this before I hit record. I'm in a landlocked state. I'm far yeah. away from the Gulf of Mexico. A lot of listeners around the world, we don't have, I mean, we're not close to the ocean. We feel like, well, I'm only one person. How can I make a difference? How can I help? Yeah, there's so many ways. I'm so glad you asked that question because it can feel so far away. And uh, there are so many other things that we're worrying about right now, especially today. I mean, we have a global pandemic happening, and that's so real and so important. 
And one of the things we're learning from that is how closely impacted uh, wildlife and humans become and how our lives are intertwined. And so I think if you're in a landlocked state and you're trying to figure out what does this mean to me, I think there's um, just a fundamental love and appreciation we have for animals. And it doesn't matter where you are on the planet. I think you can still be connected to and care for all the creatures, either at the bottom of the ocean or the dog that's laying next to you on the sofa. You know, we're all connected in this really beautiful way. And so if we honor that and we feel that and we want to act on that, then there's so many things that you can do. There's the way we eat and, and nourish ourselves and nourish our families. We can think about where's this, where's this product coming from and how is it caught and is it sustainable and we can think about how we navigate our daily lives and are we doing those basic things like reducing reusing recycling I hope everybody is there and now we're just taking it up a notch and so how are we getting around in terms of when we go to the grocery store is it close enough to walk or do we need to hop in the car can we grab a bicycle you know all those things that sound so simple but they can create a tiny inconvenience when you start doing them. But then once you get into the rhythm and the routine, it feels good because you realize that everything you're doing, all those little choices you're making are having a big impact on the planet and you're doing your part to take care of the animals. So when you're loving that dog next to you on the sofa, you can think about how that animal's representing all the other creatures that, that we are caring for yeah and i was gonna say just a side note i'm this i'm I'm with straws like i do not use straws and i've been strong on this for a while but it's i mean i'm so used to it now like i will i will refuse a straw and it's it's funny because when i used to go to restaurants now we can't but back in the day before this corona hit i would when a server would bring me a straw i'd be like no like and i'd almost like be like okay i'm sorry i didn't mean to yell at you but no like this is you know and so it's a habit and i'm so you know you just develop it and you start these little things and yeah, I mean, I, I get it. It's now it's part of my everyday life. Yeah, and you know what I think is the best part of the whole straw campaign um, is that every time now that somebody gets a straw, you think about the issue. So it, you know, it doesn't even um, matter how, in terms of all the other choices you're making every day. You know, if you're just kind of moving through them and without an awareness. Um, it, it's not quite as meaningful, but if you're, if, if somebody has a straw, especially in California, you know, it's oh. been a deal. <laughs> if you accidentally order a straw, you know, there's a huge conversation that happens. And, um, and so it's on people's minds. And I love that about the straw campaign. We need more of that, more of conversation starters, because that's how you create social you movement. Know, you know Change. You know what we need is that vi- you know what that straw movement. It's it was that viral video of the straw being pulled out, know, of, right? out, of, out of the sea turtle's nose, and people saw that and they were like, "No." Yeah. Right. Exactly. And so the more, the more of the, the and that's us connecting to a creature through media and and caring about that single animal, and so that created a huge change in human behavior, mm-hmm. and that's amazing. And it's because of that connection that we were having with that individual animal. We don't want that animal to, to have that happen to it and to feel that way. And you could see its eyes, you know, as the as the procedure was happening. So, you know, those are the things that keep us all connected and really help develop our sense of caring and compassion for animals. Yep, absolutely. Now, can we go in? So 10 years later, 
what have we found? I mean, I mean, were you, you know, cause I know we do have scientists who listen to the show who kind of maybe want to go a little more in depth. Like what have you found like study wise? Um, can we go over that briefly? Yeah. And we can go back into the beginning, um, in terms of, because it hasn't changed that much, uh, which is what has really surprised us. We did expect that things would be getting much better by now, but in the beginning, um, when the spill happened and the first thing that happened is dolphins started to wash up dead on the beaches, which is terrible and provided us with the opportunity to examine those bodies and figure out what was going on. In addition, we were doing live animal health assessments. So we're doing something called capture release where we go into the animal's environment and then temporarily, um, bring them into our care for an hour and on a boat and do a full physical exam. So everything you can think of that, that um, is happening to a human in a clinic, we do that on a floating clinic um, in the bay with dolphins and then release them and, and follow them and, and see how long do they survive and are they having babies. And so from those two different pieces of information in terms of, or those two different ways that we gather information, either from the dead animals or from these live animal encounters that we're having, we were able to piece together the story. And so there were a few really important things that came out of that that haven't changed even now, 10 years later. And one was the fact that we were seeing these increased mortality rates. So the animals are just dying more. There are more dead animals than there should be high rates of lung disease. And so, you know, the, remember there's this one particular animal, her ID um, is Y05. Like I, I remember this animal so well. I remember everything about her. She was one of the first animals that we encountered in Barataria Bay, which is one of the heaviest oiled areas. And um, as soon as we um, encountered her, she was having trouble breathing and she was having trouble catching her breath. And so we knew right away something was wrong with her. And when we examined her, we used ultrasound to look at her lungs. And um, that was still to this day the worst case of of pneumonia that I've ever seen. And we were able to diagnose it just within a few minutes with the ultrasound because um, we were set up for that that field study. Uh, But I still think about that animal and, and all the other animals she represented. So we saw just really high rates of lung disease um, and commonly pneumonia. And then this impaired stress response. So this was something else that we saw in other animals where their adrenal gland, the gland that produces cortisol and aldosterone, um, was damaged. And so in the dead animals, we were seeing an abnormal gland. And in the live animals, we saw the product of that, which means in a, in a situation where the animal is being um, captured and then released for the health assessment, they should be mounting this really healthy stress response. And many of them weren't. So they couldn't mount a proper response, which is very dangerous. So if you're in a situation and you can't respond the way you, you need to in order to survive, that, that can be fatal. Um, and so those were some of the big things that we found. And then the one that um, I've been most focused on is the reproductive failure. So we can do these really nice um, 
comprehensive ultrasound exams of the animals of the females and look to see if they have a baby. And then if there is a baby, we can do a full ultrasound exam, very much like the human ultrasound exams. Um, we modeled them after the human ultrasound exams and we can fully examine the baby. And we are seeing that in Barataria Bay, in, this, in these oiled regions, that only 20% of the pregnancies are successful. 20? Yeah, 20%. So 80% are failing. And that is, that is astounding and concerning. And we keep hoping it's going to change. But even this far out, it's, it's still there. And so we did a whole three-year investigation to figure out why is that happening and what we're coming down to is that it's maternal illness or sick moms. So they're just too sick to either carry the pregnancy to full term or then to take care of the newborn. And so we've done all this different um, analyses to really understand at what point are things going wrong in the pregnancy. So we're just completing that part of the study now. But it's just, things just still aren't getting better. So it's pretty disheartening. And we are hoping that this new generation, you know, the animals that weren't born at the yet at the time of the spill um, and have been born since, we're hoping that they're the ones that will be the face of the recovery, that they're the ones that aren't going to be plagued with all these health problems. And hopefully, um, you know, it's probably going to take, based on the modeling, 30 years for the animals completely to come back and recover, mm. maybe longer. And what is the lifespan of a, of a dolphin? It depends on where you live and, um, on, and your sex and all kinds of different things. Um, but it's, you know, usually in the wilds, you know, if you're getting up into your 20s, you're doing really good. And okay. so if you hit 30, um, and there are absolutely wild dolphins that hurt, hit 30, 40, even 50, um, but it's rare. And so, you know, in your, in your mid-20s is twenties is um, pretty typical. And so they are long lived and their pregnancy um, lasts about 380 days, which um, is just over a year. And so it does, it does take a long time to make new dolphins. And so that's part of the reason why these effects are lasting so long. So an 80% mortality rate 80% mortality rate for the for the for the pregnancies. So this is specific to female dolphins that are pregnant. What percentage of those pregnancies are failing? And this, 80%. And this is due to oil pollution and other and other types of pollution or is it just oil pollution or yeah. is it a number of factors? Great. Yeah, that's another great question. So in the beginning of the decade of investigation that was the biggest question we had because we were going and studying dolphins in different parts of the Gulf of Mexico and in these really heavily oiled areas, we had this laundry list of health issues we were finding. And so we had to really figure that out. You know, why we actually started with the position of this isn't, this isn't due to oil. So, um, you know, it's called the null hypothesis where you basically start with, okay, that's not having an effect. There is nothing there. And so we started with that frame of mind, like this, the oil isn't going to be a problem. It's not going to do anything. But then as we got this laundry list of issues, some of which were pretty specific for a pollutant caused health impact, 
we just started to, to cross things off the list and rule them out. And all that was left at the end of the investigation to tie everything together that we were saying was, was oil. And so now, 10 years later, we're, we think that what has happened is that we have this whole population of animals that has been impacted by oil and they're still not healthy. So now they're more susceptible to other issues that um, either infectious disease or salinity changes, um, other pollutant or other um, potential environmental insults. So they're not very robust. And so we have to think of these animals in that way. You know, we need to take a lot of care and thought and put a lot of time into thinking how do we best protect these animals that have now been so severely impacted by this disaster. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to come on again and to spread awareness. I am so happy you decided to come back on the show. And I mean, is there anything like what can I do at home? Can they donate to the National Marine Mammal Foundation? Do you guys have something set up where people can help support the foundation? Absolutely. Yeah. So people can go to um, nmmf.org, the National Marine Mammal Foundation. Um, we have a donate page. You can make sure that it goes. If you're interested in this, we can direct it right at um, making sure that we continue to monitor the health and do everything we can to learn the most about these animals that have been impacted. So absolutely. And then we have lots of collaborators. It's not just us. There's a whole team of people that, that work hard on these issues. So we don't try to do it alone. We like to, uh, we like to have lots of folks, everybody that we can helping us out and, and doing it together. So we'll make sure to, to continue to do it in that way. Awesome. And I just want to listeners one more time. I have to plug it. You have to listen to our interview episode 75 titled the sea panda. And we're talking about the vaquita. Can you explain what the vaquita is really quick for someone who's like vaquita? Like it sounds like something to order at like a Mexican restaurant or something. Yeah. <laughs> so the vaquita is the smallest whale. I mean, we call it a whale. It's a porpoise. So it's a type of um, cetacean. And it is the most critically endangered marine mammal on the planet. And so we're down to just a couple dozen. They're only found in the Sea of Cortez, which is um, the Gulf of California. And they're being threatened right now by an illegal fishery for tetraba, which is a fish that's also endangered. Um, and so we're getting really close to losing that species. And what we've been trying to overcome is uh, the illegal activity that um, that is causing the extinction of this animal. So I do hope people will take a listen to that episode and they can also get involved with that effort as well. And they can check out vaquitacpr.org and learn more about the vaquita and, and how to get involved. And Sea of Shadows, your film. Yeah, Sea of Shadows, National Geographic um, is distributing and showing this wonderful film, Sea of Shadows, which was... Um, a documentary is a documentary that was made by Richard Litkani and it spotlights this issue and shows all the different people around the world that are trying to save this creature from extinction. Okay, I have one last question I'm so afraid to ask, but are you ready? Your eyes got big. I promise I won't put you on the spot. <laughs> Do we know, so several months ago there was news that a vaquita had a calf? There's, you know, we're still... 
hearing good news about Vikita's. Oh, patent. thank God. Have you heard that? It's, it's, it was probably accurate. And that has been the hope that we've been hanging on to, that the animals, even though their numbers are so small, they're still reproducing. And the genetic scientists, the geneticists are saying to us, even though the population has gotten down to a couple dozen, they believe the genetic strength is still there for them to come back. So we just need to eliminate the threat, which are these gillnets that are in their waters and they're accidentally drowning in these gillnets that aren't set for them. They're set for this fish, the tetrava. So if we can just make their environment safe for them, make the water safe for them, we do think these animals can come back. So we're not giving up hope. Awesome. Well, thank you for all you do, Dr. Smith. Have a fantastic rest of your Earth Day. And I hoped, hope to have you back on the show, maybe with some better news. Maybe you can come back on and, you know, what yeah. I, I don't know. Well, yeah. Yes, exactly. We'll pick, a, we'll pick something a little brighter um, next time to talk about. But hopefully this inspires everybody to get involved and do everything they can to help protect all the animals that we care so much about. That's great. And listeners, I will put the links in the show notes where they can visit the website. And if you want to donate, I'll put the link in that as well. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxi.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxi on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.